1: Let's get started.
0: North Korea has been in the news lately, having to do with so-called weapons of mass destruction. But it's not nuclear weapons they're talking about, it's biological weapons. According to the Middlebury Institute of International Studies, North Korea has been working for a while now on attaining the expertise and the capability to develop biological weapons. One former Pentagon official says, quote, North Korea is more likely to use biological weapons than nuclear ones. The program is advanced, underestimated, and highly lethal. This quote comes from a January 15, 2019 article in the New York Times written by Emily Baumgartner and William Broad. Now experts have long believed that North Korea harbors the smallpox virus. Smallpox was declared eradicated in 1980 and it's a scary virus because it travels very fast between people and it kills about a third of the people who contract it. So it's frightening if North Korea still has some of this virus on hand. Bioweapons can be produced in relatively small laboratories and at far less expense than nuclear weapons. And it's far easier to pretend that they are there for some other purpose, like developing vaccines or agricultural chemicals. So it's really difficult to know whether the North Korean government might be exploring this area. The Trump administration has alluded to bioweapons in North Korea in various unclassified documents, but it hasn't really mentioned it in public. The Times thinks that's a little strange, considering that John Bolton, who's Trump's national security advisor, has long voiced concerns about this threat. In 2002, Bolton, when he was an official in the George W. Bush White House, said, quote, North Korea has one of the most robust offensive bioweapons programs on Earth, unquote. But this New York Times article provides some circumstantial evidence that these bioweapon programs are still going on. First, South Korea military officers have identified at least 10 facilities in the North that could be involved in research and production of more than a dozen infectious biological agents, including those that cause the plague and hemorrhagic fevers. North Korea has received advanced microbiological training from various institutes in Asia and Europe. And it's believed that North Korea possesses 13 different pathogens, including smallpox, typhoid fever, yellow fever, anthrax, botulism, cholera, and the plague. South Korea suspects that the North is focusing, however, on anthrax because that's a highly fatal disease and smallpox because it's highly contagious these claims by south korea however have not been corroborated by u s intelligence officers now there's a defense researcher at the rand corporation who claims that he has spoken to defectors from north korea who described seeing testing of biological agents on political prisoners there and several defectors who had worked in the North Korean military have tested positive for smallpox antibodies that means one of two things either they were exposed to the smallpox virus itself or they've been vaccinated against smallpox but nowadays very few people in the world are actually vaccinated for smallpox because it has been practically eradicated but US troops that are located in South Korea are vaccinated for smallpox because of that risk there and so the question is are these North Korean defectors having antibodies to smallpox because they were vaccinated for it or because they've been the victim of experiments. There's a strategic intelligence firm called Amplify which apparently monitors North Korean web searches and starting three years ago they have detected a sharp increase in internet searches for terms like antibiotic resistance, microbial dark matter, and CAS protein, which hints that there is a rising curiosity in North Korea about microbiology and gene cloning and gene manipulation. Antibiotic resistance is a gene that's added to cloning vectors as a way of selecting out genetic clones that a researcher might be making in the lab. Microbial dark matter is referring to the millions of microbial species out there that are difficult to culture on petri dishes. Bacteria that are hard to reproduce in the lab are called microbial dark matter so North Korea might be interested in those for some reason. And the CAS protein is referring to the CRISPR process used to alter the DNA sequence of organisms. It's a very powerful and new technique for editing DNA in vivo, which means within the organism itself. So it's curious that North Korea is suddenly interested in these things, but on the other hand, it could just be that they're curious about these new techniques. Now, of course, the thing to keep in mind is that North Korea doesn't have that many computers around, so these aren't college students doing web searches. These are probably government officials and scientists. The Times quotes a military analyst with expertise on North Korea as saying, quote, These are scientists, and scientists love to tinker, unquote. Apparently there have been at least 100 research papers written by North Koreans in collaboration with outside scientists on topics related to militarized biological manipulations. In 2015, Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, made a media visit to a modern-looking research facility called the Biotechnical Institute. And this was supposed to be a place where they were doing research on pesticides. Mr. Kim was wearing an impressive-looking lab coat and he was just smiling away. But behind him in these photos are these large biofermenters, which are meant for growing microorganisms, which is not something you'd really expect in an agricultural pesticide facility. This media visit to the Biotechnical Institute appears to have been staged. Like, presidents never do that, right? Because it happened just one month After a fiasco here in the United States where a military lab in Utah accidentally sent live samples of anthrax spores to labs in nine different states. Was this just a way for North Korea to tell the world, hey, we can play the biological weapon game too, you know. But it could also mean that they're just bluffing, that they aren't actually developing these weapons, but they want us to think that maybe they are, as a way of discouraging an invasion perhaps. There were also spray dryers in the photograph, which could be used to turn bacterial spores into a powder that would be fine enough to inhale. A scholar with expertise on bioweapons thought that the model numbers on this equipment were illegitimate, probably purchased on the black market using laundered money, bribes, and front companies, because that kind of equipment would normally not have been able to be purchased legally because of international agreements that North Korea have agreed to. This expert thought that this pesticide facility could be converted within weeks to manufacture dried anthrax spores. If you remember, it was anthrax spores that were placed into envelopes and mailed to various congressional offices and the Supreme Court back in 2001 after 9-11. Seventeen people were sickened by that attack, and five people died, it cost $320 million to clean up, so anthrax is a nasty pathogen, and someone could cause a lot of damage with just a little bit of spore. This serves as a reminder, though, that germ warfare doesn't just have to be delivered by a missile or put into the water supply or something like that. It could be delivered to specific populations or even specific individuals. Don't forget about the assassination of Kim's half-brother back in 2017 at the airport in Malaysia. A couple of women were seen on security cameras at the airport smearing a nerve agent called VX on Kim's half-brother's face, and that man died very quickly. Now, to go back to that anthrax account back in 2001 when these anthrax envelopes were sent to various officials... After that happened, the federal budgets for biodefense increased quite a bit, but they've now declined again. The level of investment in biodefense has been described by experts as pitiful, and one official with the Federal Department of Health and Human Services is quoted as saying, "...we don't spend half of an aircraft carrier on our preparedness for deliberate or natural events." Indeed, the National Security Council's top health security position was eliminated by the Trump administration last year. But it does look like the Pentagon is making some moves. They have recently sped up their ability to detect biological agents in Korea. They can now identify potentially hazardous microorganisms within hours instead of days. And there is an evaluation of military preparedness for germ attacks going on in South Korea right now. American military personnel in South Korea have been getting vaccinated for smallpox and anthrax for the past 14 years. That's just a little bit after the time that John Bolton made that scary remark about North Korean bioweapons. Melissa Hanham, who was the expert who had been analyzing those photos of Mr. Yoon's visit to the pesticide facility, is quoted in the Times article as saying, If you're a country that feels generally outclassed in conventional weapons, a lethal microbe like anthrax might seem like a good way to create an outsized amount of damage. But the problem is... This is all circumstantial evidence, we just don't know what North Korea is doing in terms of developing biological weapons. There are some advantages for a poor country like North Korea that's so ostracized by the rest of the world to do something like this. Germ production is much easier and cheaper to do than developing nuclear weapons and it's easier to hide. And if deployed can be very deadly but hard to contain and hard to detect. It obviously hurts people who do get infected and strikes fear in those who don't. But on the other hand, biological weapons are very difficult to control once they're released. It's hard to target the enemy in such a way that the deployers are also not exposed. This might be the reason that most nations have turned their backs on biological weapons. Some people are calling for more inspections of North Korean biological and chemical facilities in the future. Because whereas nuclear weapons facilities provide fairly visible signs to the international community, the technology for developing biological weapons is essentially the same as that used for medical or agricultural applications. So it's difficult to spot the difference. And of course, I'm just telling you about what's been reported by the media. We really don't know what's going on in the higher echelons of the National Security Council. And I'm not just trying to give you something else to worry about, but rather I think we all need to be informed. Thank you. You're currently listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science at WFMP 106.5 here in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, speaking of diseases caused by viruses, here in the U.S., we've got our own problems. It's back. The measles. The measles were declared eliminated in the United States by the Federal Center for Disease Control, the CDC, back in the year 2000. They declared that at the time because there were no cases of disease transmission in the country of measles for a 12-month period prior to that. But it just so happened two years prior to 2000, back in 1998, another big thing happened. A paper was published in the English journal called Lancet, that suggested there was a link between the MMR vaccine MMR stands for measles, mumps, and rubella and autism in children. It indicated that there was a link between the MMR vaccine and autism in children. Later 10 of the 12 co-authors of this paper retracted the publication and the journal itself retracted the article. There were questions about how the dozen subjects examined in the paper had been recruited turned out that some were involved in a lawsuit, and the lawyer representing them paid for some of the research. The journal eventually retracted the article because of this, and because the authors had not disclosed this possible bias at the time of publication. The primary author of this Lancet paper, Andrew Wakefield, was eventually banned from practicing medicine in Britain due to research misconduct. If you want to know more about retractions of scientific publications, check out our story on this topic on the SoundCloud page for Bench Talk. It's on the forwardradio.org website. Listen to our December 10, 2018 episode. Publication of this article showing a link between the MMR vaccine and autism really resounded with the public. It really got a lot of media attention. And even though numerous subsequent papers on this topic have not found a link between the vaccine and autism, the damage had already been done. What's interesting is that if you look at this paper by Wakefield, he's actually not recommending that parents not immunize their children against measles. He was actually just saying that the three vaccines maybe shouldn't be taken at one time. They should be taken individually instead of all at once which the mmr vaccine does but some parents interpreted this as up don't get vaccinated at all so parents heard the media reports about this and started to decide to forgo the vaccine altogether vaccination rates started dropping after that especially in the uk where rates dropped from ninety percent to eighty percent that is well below the level that is thought to be required for herd immunity this means that you need to have ninety two to ninety four percent immunization rates if you really want to prevent measles outbreaks from spreading widely If you have immunization rates below that 92 to 94 percent of children level, the risk that non-immunized people contract the measles virus goes up significantly. This concept of herd immunity, basically they're saying that if a few people don't get vaccinated, they'll be okay because there's so many people around them that are vaccinated, the disease won't have a way to get a foothold on that population. But the magical number is from 6 to 8% of the population. If you have more than 6 to 8% of the population who don't get vaccinated, they're not protected by people who have been vaccinated. There's too many other people who have also not been vaccinated, and that gives a foothold for this disease to get into the population. While overall rates of measles vaccination in the United States haven't dropped as radically as in Britain, they have vacillated quite a bit since the publication of the Wakefield paper. The problem in the U.S. is that vaccination rates have dropped in specific locations. There are about a dozen places in the country where vaccination rates have been really low. Phoenix, Arizona. Detroit, Michigan. Asheville, North Carolina. And there are two more hot spots in Oregon, Seattle, and Portland. It's in Portland, Oregon where the measles virus has taken its biggest toll this year. As of this writing, more than 50 people have contracted measles in the Portland area. The problem with measles is that it's caused by a virus that persists for a very long time in the environment so even if a person walks into a room after they've contracted the disease the virus lingers in the air in that room for two hours so that potentially exposes a lot of people to that virus so if someone who's not immunized walks into that room two hours after the infected person was in there they breathe the same air They might touch a surface that the infected person touched and then bring their hands to their eyes or their nose or their mouth and voila they're infected. This scenario happens 90 percent of the time to someone who's not vaccinated. In Clark County which is right next to Portland, Oregon only 78 percent of the kids from kindergarten through high school have actually been vaccinated for measles. That's a very low number. Another issue with measles is that the incubation for the measles virus is two weeks and the virus can spread from an infected person for four days before they show the typical measles rash and so infected people can do a pretty good job of spreading the disease because they are spreading it before they even know they have it. So it will be interesting to see if this tendency by parents to not fully vaccinate their children will continue in the future or whether parents realize that the threat from the vaccination is not as great as the risk they put their children at of getting the disease. Our last story this week is by Dr. Ashley Best. It's a rebroadcast of her report on the effect of the 2009 Great Recession on public health. After her report is a short discussion we have about that. We might be expressing opinions about this topic and if we do I just want to point out that it's our personal opinion and not that of the station WFMPLP. This story originally was broadcast on September 3rd, 2018. Take it away, Ashley.
1: I just want to go ahead and talk about a large study that just came out um, from England. This used data from the Health Survey for England. This is a cross-sectional survey that was taken Um, between 2001 and 2013, and they got yearly data from about 9,000 English households. What they were looking at is what changed specifically um, health-wise surrounding the 2008 Great Recession. So they specifically used data on respondents above 16 years of age. Uh, They looked at socioeconomic characteristics of these individuals, and then a wide range of health lifestyles and health conditions. After the 2008 Great Recession, they noticed the probability of being obese and severely obese increased by 4.1 and 2.4 percentage points, respectively. Similarly, the probability of having diabetes was 1.5 percentage points higher after the recession. And, most notably, the prevalence of mental health problems increased by 4% after the recession. They also noticed some other interesting trends during this time. There was actually a decrease in the amount of fruit intake, smoking, and drinking from the recession. Uh, And these variations in health were more pronounced among the less educated and among women. So I kind of have some interesting thoughts on why this might be happening. Because if you're having less income coming in, you're going to change a lot of aspects about your life. Uh, So people probably had to resort to eating cheaper food. I mean, you think of fruit being delicious, but one of the most expensive things in the grocery store. I also wonder how stress plays a role in this.
0: Yeah, I noticed that was one of the higher numbers that changed. Was it 4% more emotional problems?
1: Yeah. And so if you're stressed out financially, this is going to obviously have a large impact on your life. So we know that stress can cause a a massive amount of um, health problems indirectly. And so, This, I think, is is basically what that's showing. We do know stress causes bad health incomes, and this may be specifically related to financial stress.
0: Yeah, boy, I have a story in my own family about that. My brother was an architect back in Arizona. He had his own company. And after the recession hit, of course, building went way down, and he really struggled. I could tell he was under so much stress. And um, I blame the Great Recession for his doing so badly. Health-wise,
1: yeah. And if you're stressed out financially, you're likely going to have less sleep, and we know that sleep deprivation causes um, a lot of problem, a lot of health problems for individuals. So you have increased stress, um, increased sleep deprivation. So it makes sense that you would see a lot of other uh, health problems coming out because of this. You know, you're you may also be working more if you're not able to make um, ends meet by just a standard forty-hour work week job. You might be picking up an extra side job, so you're exhausted. You're sleep deprived. You're stressed.
0: Now I wonder how did what did they compare after the Great Recession? to? how did they they announced how many percent differences there were compared to what?
1: So they were tracking nine thousand individuals between two thousand and one and twenty thirteen. So I think they looked at how they, how they compared before 20, uh, yeah, 2008 until after, and then what I was curious to see if any of those started coming down you know, in in towards the later end of the study.
0: Yeah, because you wonder, as we all age, we're more likely going to have some of those medical problems. and You wonder how they eliminated.
1: Yeah, well, and then if we think about it, I mean, recessions are kind of a natural occurrence in the economy. Uh, They seem to have kind of this 10-year cycle. Not that everyone is is as bad as, you know, the Great Recession um, or the Great Depression, but you're still going to see recessions occur. And so, you know, if we know... That these are coming up, we might be better prepared to help. You know these individuals with these health problems.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. How could the medical community help prepare people for future economic crises like the, the one in '08?
1: Yeah, so this, you know, has impacts for how we consider national health care. Um, so as a nation, if if we're going through a recession, we're obviously going to have a harder strain on the health care system because there's going to be more problems. Yeah, I know. I was under a lot
0: more emotional stress after the Great Recession. Even people with jobs, just they're worried about their economic future, investments dropping.
1: <laughs> I would say I was I was luckily to be shielded from that at the time. I was I was eighteen and just graduating college or high school and moving on to college. So. Luckily I was still able to go to the university of my choice but you know perhaps I would have had more financial help from my parents had this not occurred. Yeah. It'd be
0: interesting to see a parallel study cuz I think you said this was done in Great Britain. It'd be interesting to see if that same trend happened in the United States.
1: Yeah, I think we can maybe extrapolate and say that it did. It's hard. It's they definitely had this nice set of data that they were already started tracking all the way from 2001 and so sometimes that's what's hard about studies looking at before and after event, because you may not know the events coming, and so you may not have that data readily available. I wonder if if something does exist out there. They may be able to scour some patients' health information and and look back at this retroactively and see.
0: Yeah, and since they have personal opinion, I think they have better health care for the average person in Great Britain than we have in the U.S., especially in 2008. It could have even been worse in the United States compared to there.
1: Oh, that's definitely a great point.
0: Oh, every once in a while you hear a story of a free clinic, like for dentists offering free dental work, and families parking their SUVs in the parking lot two days before, waiting and getting lined because they desperately need dental care, and they just can't afford to go without insurance. <music> Well, that's the show this week thank you for listening to bench talk the week in science we think the world is a fascinating place and science is a good way to explore it science truly empowers all of us if you want to learn more about the show go to our facebook page just search for bench talk two words on facebook you can also email us at bench at gmail.com that's one word benchtalkradio at gmail.com Now all of our episodes are podcasted on SoundCloud so just visit the station's website at www.forwardradio.org and scroll down to the program archives. That's www.forwardradio.org to listen to any of our old episodes. If you live outside of the Louisville broadcast area, You can still listen to us on live stream at that same website, www.forwardradio.org. This show is broadcast on WFMP LP 106.5 FM every Monday at 7.30 p.m., that's Eastern Time, 11.30 a.m. every Tuesday, and 7.30 a.m. every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to WFMP LP 106.5 FM your grassroots, volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky, where there is still a little room for evidence-based rational analysis. Thank you.